and welcome to episode number 63 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about Francis Albert Sinatra. We're recording this on December 12th, 2019, which would have been Frank's 104th birthday. We did a special music tribute this morning before the No Agenda podcast. If you're not checking out our pre-shows before the No Agenda show, tune in two hours prior to No Agenda at noagendastream.com and join in on all the fun. But we did a show today in tribute to Frank's birthday because he's an artist that I really have liked for as long as I can remember. He's a guy that changed music in a lot of different ways. He's the guy that pretty much invented the concept of a concept album. Long before the Beatles were doing Sgt. Pepper's, Frank was putting together an album of music that was cohesive from song to song rather than just a bunch of tracks randomly put together. He's one of the main reasons that pushed the LP format that we still know and love today, that 33 RPM, into existence because of the album concept. He's a guy that lived an interesting life and also had a major impact upon the arts of audio recording and making movies. A lot of people forget about the fact that he made movies, but he was actually one hell of an actor as well as a musician. And I'll call him a musician. Some people don't. Some people, hey, Frank's just a singer. But he used his voice in a way that few people have been able to figure out how to do. The closest that I've ever heard is Willie Nelson and how he does phrasing. He doesn't have the vocal chops as Frank. Don't get me wrong. But he knows how to phrase in a almost jazz way in the country vein, Willie does. And Frank pretty much made that his bread and butter for his career. But he had a tumultuous life that started back on December 12th, 1915. He was a very big baby, coming in at 13 and a half pounds, which is interesting because, you know, you don't think of Frank as a big guy because he wasn't a big guy. He was only five foot seven. And when he was born, because he was so big, there were problems getting him out. They had to use some forceps, which caused some damage to his cheek, to his ear, actually perforated his eardrum, which would eventually keep him from serving in the military. But when he was born, the doctor looked at him. He wasn't breathing. And the doctor just believed that he had not made it through the birthing process. He put Frank on the counter and went to work on Frank's mother. When Frank's grandma picked up the baby, ran him under some cold water, gave him a little slap, and Frank came to life, letting out a yell. He has done so many different things in his career that a lot of them aren't even talked about, or a lot of them are lost already due to the amount of time passed. Most people don't realize his first foray into the entertainment world was making a porn movie when he was 18 the masked bandit it was called but when frank actually began his music career not long after he made sure 
that would never surface. I mean, it's good to have friends in high or low places as it may be with Frank, something that followed him around for his whole career. The nods, the knowing, the guessing that he had mob connections. There's a picture that goes around online. I've seen it on t-shirts and all these other kind of things of the mugshot of a young Francis Albert Sinatra. And that was back in 1938 where he was first, well, he was arrested for seduction, which I mean, really, I mean, Steve Miller can say he's the gangster of love, but damn it, Francis Albert Sinatra was actually arrested for seduction back in 1938. But then it turned out that the female that he was with was not quite as virtuous as one might have thought. She was actually married. So the charge was turned into an adultery charge. I kid you not. That was still going on back in the 30s, which then was eventually dropped. Frank's entire life was really a pendulum going back and forth, the highs and lows. And he would reach the pinnacles of success, but also go down to the deep depths of despair And it's no secret that he was a bit of a manic depressive. He attempted suicide at least four times, three of them while married to Ava Gardner, which was a very tumultuous relationship. And Frank had really good times and really bad times. There were some things that stayed pretty much the same throughout his life. And one was that if you were one of his friends, he was a fiercely loyal guy. Now, if he came in on the other side of that fence, you might have a little bit of a problem. Frank was a guy that was very protective. For instance, after Mia Farrow, who Frank had divorced years earlier, got together with Woody Allen, and then Woody Allen, of course, got together with his stepdaughter, disgracing Mia. Frank offered to have Woody's legs broken. Mia declined, but maybe Woody probably deserved it. Some people today would think Woody still deserves it. But Frank Sinatra, I mean, we know a lot about his musical career, and I don't know what more can really be said. The music is something I think you have to experience to really understand, to really enjoy. But the guy recorded more albums than I can count. And trying to listen to his discography from start to finish would take you days upon end. It was hard trying to come up with a playlist. For the No Agenda pre-show, where you have about two hours to play with, it's not easy to fit everything in that you want to fit in. And I highly recommend anybody go out and check out Frank's stuff. The early stuff was fantastic. The mid stuff was fantastic. And once you got to some of the later stuff wasn't great, but the guy has a career and a discography that almost any other artist would be jealous of. But I want to talk about a few of the other different things that he did, one of which was being an actor. And a lot of people don't give him enough credit for the work he did. A lot of people don't realize that he was the first guy that really brought any kind of martial arts to the big screen in the United States in The Manchurian Candidate. There was an action scene Two guys in suits doing a little bit of karate, a little bit of fighting in a room. And it was during that scene, actually, that Frank would break a finger. 
that would set into motion some changes into cinema history and things that could have been. I'm sure a lot of people are going to have their minds blown when I tell you that the character of Dirty Harry, played, of course, by Clint Eastwood, and his most iconic role, I would say most people would argue, was originally offered to Frank Sinatra. But he was still coming off the Manchurian candidate where he had broken the finger and he wasn't comfortable wielding that 44. So he passed on the role. And that would become, of course, Dirty Harry goes to Clint Eastwood. The other role, which was even a little bit more interesting and a little bit crazier to me when I found out about it, was he was originally offered the character in Die Hard that Bruce Willis would go on to play due to the fact that Die Hard was based upon a book, which was a follow-up to a book that was released back in the 60s, where Frank Sinatra had played that same character years prior. So the, that John McClane, man, could have been Francis Albert Sinatra, but of course he was already in his 70s, and he knew a little better that that kind of a role was beyond a man of his age and i'm thinking most of us are glad even if we love frank that bruce willis got that role one role that frank did get was in the movie guys and dolls alongside of marlon brando and it is no surprise to anybody that's followed either of those careers that these guys just did not like each other sinatra used to complain that brando kind of talked like he had marbles in his mouth and Brando did not like Sinatra's way of working. Sinatra was a guy that did not like to do take after take after take. He was a guy that wanted to live in the moment. And if there was anything that Sinatra hated, that would have been having to do a retake while filming something. Well, in Guys and Dolls, this came to a head in a scene where Sinatra was eating a piece of cheesecake while Marlon Brando had to deliver his lines. It turns out that Marlon Brando, professional actor, continued to flub the lines over and over and over again about 10 different times to where Sinatra finally just had enough and had a little bit of an outburst asking, how much cheesecake do you think I can eat? Sinatra was also a guy that was involved in politics. He was good friends with JFK. They were buddies. They womenized together they drank together they had their fun and when kennedy needed some votes to win the election sinatra was the guy they came to they needed the chicago votes and sinatra knew sam giancana and they got the votes jfk became president and his brother immediately started going after organized crime the Chicago outfit was not very happy with that, and this caused a few different things to start dominoing down, including Sinatra's friendship with Kennedy ending. But Giancana didn't really hold Sinatra that personally responsible for it, which is a good thing, because otherwise Sinatra probably wouldn't have been around much longer. But he did make him pay by having him and his buddies, Dean, Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., inviting them just nicely, I'm sure, to come out to Sam Giancana's club here in the great Chicago area. 
called the Villa Venice, where Sam, Frank, and Dino did two shows a night for, I believe it was a two-week run, which I'm sure helped uh, Giancana make up a little bit of revenue. The stories about Sinatra being mobbed up are only partially true at best. Yeah, he had friends that were in the mob, and they kind of looked out for Frank. But there were limits on how far Frank could take that. There was a time, a story, where he lost about a half a million bucks in Vegas. This was a low point for Frank. And he was mad at the manager of the casino. And he wanted to have the guy whacked. Now, the casino manager, of course, was a connected guy. And Frank was told, you know, we like you, Frank, but uh, we're not going to do that. So it'll probably come as no surprise that the FBI had a fairly large file on Francis Albert Sinatra. What might surprise you, though, is exactly why this file was started back in August of 1943. It came because of a tipster. I mean, a lot of this is going to sound familiar for everybody following politics today. A tipster sent a letter to the FBI complaining that they believed that Francis Albert Sinatra was a subversive voice. The letter started, I turn on a Frank Sinatra program, and I noted the shrill whistling sound created supposedly by girls cheering. Recognizing those frantic screams of devotion, this paranoid letter writer claimed, How easy it would be for certain-minded manufacturers to create another Hitler here in America through the influence of mass hysteria. Certainly an interesting comparison for the time and for all those of us who are living in the current day and age. We know that mass hysteria is here, but not because of the screaming of young girls for a pop star. Instead, it's moved on. To a president. So the FBI had their file on Frank, and there's no doubt that they probably got to get the inside scoop on a lot of great Hollywood parties, a lot of great things going on in the Vegas desert where Frank and the Rat Pack, although they didn't like the name the Rat Pack, they called themselves the Summit, but everybody else seems to call them the Rat Pack, would go on to take Vegas from a place that was pretty much dead and nobody going to the place that we know it is today and frank sinatra loved jack daniels a bottle was buried with him along with some tootsie rolls and some lifesavers a pack of camels and his zippo lighter the jack daniels story is an interesting one it's one that i have recently come across from acquiring a bottle of the jack daniels sinatra select which comes in a nice box with a little orange ribbon because Frank's favorite color was orange. And it comes with a little book that talks about how Sinatra got hooked into the Jack Daniels brand. And it's a brand that all of us know pretty well. It's something that's synonymous when it comes to American whiskey. Back when Frank got turned on to it by his friend Jackie Gleason, not a whole lot of people knew what this Jack Daniels stuff was. They were just getting off the ground, and Frank really liked it and became an instant friend, a lifelong friend of the guy that was the product rep for Jack Daniels that would end up being the first one to 
bring Frank a case of the stuff to Las Vegas for him and the summit to enjoy. The Rat Pack on stage would have something they called the salad cart, which was basically just a bar on wheels, and they were having a good time while performing. At least most of them were. A lot of the times, Dean Martin, who was usually kind of seen today as the biggest boozer of them all, was maybe a better actor than even Sinatra when it came to this particular thing, because it seems that most of the time, Dino was actually drinking apple juice in that highball glass while he was on stage, acting like he was drunk. Because, you know, apple juice, bourbon, they kind of look the same. I guess if you don't get close enough to sniff, you would never know that Dino's just sitting out there pretending he's boozing it up while having an apple juice. Well, there's a story of a party that Dean Martin was throwing. Everybody was there, the usual A-listers. And the party was going late into the night when the police showed up. And the police said they had gotten a complaint from a neighbor that the noise was getting out of hand. And the police apologized and said, we're going to have to shut the party down. And Frank, being Frank, took offense to this. And he's looking around and asking people where Dino is, saying, we'll take care of this. And he's asking the police, he's like, well, who called? We'll, we'll, We'll take care of it. We'll make sure. You know, we're not a problem, but which neighbor called? And the police, well, it's Mr. Sinatra. We can't tell you who called. And Frank's getting a little bit more upset and more upset because he's having a good time at this party and everybody's looking for Dean and nobody can find Dean. Well, it turns out that Dean was up in his bedroom, ready, had his bathrobe on. He was ready for bed. He was ready for the party to be called, but he didn't want to be the one to do it. So. When you're Dean Martin and you have some friends on the police force, uh, the way you shut the party down is you you call the police and you ask them to come usher Sinatra and your other buddies out. And uh, that's just how it worked. Another guy that became really good friends with Sinatra was comedian Don Rickles. Frank liked his style. There was no doubt about it. Where other comedians could kind of rub him the wrong way. Don Rickles found a way to poke fun at the chairman of the board without drawing his ire. There's a story that both the guys had told over the years that I believe is worth playing here. Since I played Frank's side of the story earlier today on the No Agenda pre-stream, I'll play Don Rickles' version of the story about just what happened one night when Don Rickles tried to get Frank to do him a little favor. Uh, I was working, uh, well, he was at the Sands at the time, and I was working at the Sahara, and I came over one night in my single days. And what year is this? What are we talking about? Uh, in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. You heard about the 60s. Yes, I did. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I talk to you, I get the feeling you're going to report me to somebody. <laughs> well, I could. It's like a checkup, you I know? could. I, I could if I wanted it's to. to be like a, I'm not going like to. Like a Regis Philbin, an annoying kind of personality. <laughs> it's it's fun. <laughs> For the money you're paying, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> Regis is a friend of mine, and he's annoying. Now, listen. Now, now you, mentioned, you mentioned, I want you to finish this story yeah. about Frank. The oh, first yeah. time right. he saw you work. Yeah. Well, the first, oh, the first time he saw mm-hmm. me, no. He saw me, we were in the sands one night, and I was with this girl. The first mm-hmm. time he ever saw me work, you know, I, I said to him, Frank, 
which nobody ever did before. Mm -hmm. I said, Frank, stand up, be yourself, hit somebody. Right. And uh, <laughs> pretty much the audience did what they did here tonight. <laughs> and then all the guys with him went, that's a funny line. Eh? And then he laughed, and then I knew they weren't going to hurt my family. But uh, the idea was I was sitting in the sands, and he called me, and I was with this girl, lovely girl. What was her name? Uh, Linda. Linda. <laughs> I'll, I'll need it for the report. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's nice when the host gets off a good one once in a while. <laughs> anyway. David, anyway, she, she came over. I'm sitting with her and she's going, do you know Frank Sinatra? And I'm making a try. I said, oh, sweetheart. Getting personal friend of mine, which I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and he's sitting there with a bunch of people and he's got security all around and I said, and it's in this cocktail lounge, and the violins are playing, and everybody, and the waiters are tinkling, and Frank's there going, summer wind, and the wind goes by, and the broads are going, summer wind, and I'm at the other table, and I'm, I, in those days I was smoking, I was missing my mouth with the puffs, and she said, and I knew if Frank came over, it's a definite score for the big guy, you know what I mean? And in those days, the big guy, oh boy, it was a lot of throbbing going on, a lot of throbbing. So, so I was sitting there, David, and I went... image, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, his name is Eddie. <laughs> anyway, David, so I went over and I said, Frank, if you could come over for a couple of minutes and just say hello to the girl, it would mean a lot to me. It would help me out. Sure. He says, you got it, kid, you got it. And the violins are playing and she's saying, oh, to you, my darling, we had a little champagne. Mm. Boom. And I'm missing my mouth. It's running down, you know, into, yeah. into the underwear and ice and Eddie. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. <laughs> Is this too fast no, for you? No, it's fine. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're sitting there like you're the Monsignor in, in Chicago or something. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm turning around and I'm, I'm, I'm having a drink and he comes over and he says, Hey, Don, it's good to see you. And with the violence playing, and I get up right at the table and I go, Not now, Frank! Can't you see I'm with people? <laughs> How do I know if your album's gonna sell? Uh, Leave me alone! Uh. A great story, and one when Sinatra tells it, he says he bought into it 100% and thought it was genius by Don Rickles to pull that one off. I'm hoping that little Eddie, or Big Eddie, I don't know, or about Rickles, Hopefully he had a good night. Now, about Frank, there were rumors about his well-endowment. Early in his career, the joke was made that, yeah, Sinatra only weighs 110 pounds, but 10 pounds of that is cock. Maybe that is why he did so well with the ladies. I don't know. But when Frank was asked who the greatest lover of his life was, he responded to the question with the answer, Angie Dickinson. Now, he was doing this on a talk show alongside of Dean Martin. And Dean nodded. And, yeah, yeah, definitely me too. Angie. So I want to know what was Angie Dickinson doing back in those days? Whatever it was, getting really, really high remarks. Now, Frank had a lot of friends, a lot of famous friends. One of those was Joe DiMaggio. Of course, because Joe DiMaggio was then married to Marilyn Monroe. Prior to that, Frank and Marilyn had a relationship, and 
The story goes that DiMaggio and Sinatra were sitting in a bar in New York one night after a meal, boozing it up a little bit, when a private eye that DiMaggio had hired believed to have seen Marilyn Monroe go into an apartment building, and they thought she was with another guy. So the boozed-up Sinatra and DiMaggio decide that they're going to skip out on the bill. They're just going to run right away, and they're going to go down and see what's going on with Marilyn. Well, it's okay. The maitre d' came along with them, so there was no worries about skipping out on the tab. And they go down to this apartment building, and they bust in a door, and they run in, and they've got a camera. They're ready to catch Marilyn in the act when they turn on the lights. And it was the wrong apartment, the wrong woman. And this woman had a, had a little bit of a fright. And to show you how different it was back in the 1950s, 1954, this got her $7,500 for her trouble. Sinatra and DiMaggio got the hell out of there. And it turned out that they had just gotten the wrong apartment. And Marilyn was in the building, but visiting a female friend. Sometimes you just get those things wrong, I guess. I don't think any episode about Frank Sinatra would be complete without talking about him as a civil rights activist, which is something that's been interesting to me. I think I mentioned this back when we did the episode on Kate Smith, because I wondered why Kate Smith was getting pinged for playing a character in a movie and using words in a song back in the day that were the same as the word Sinatra used back in the day, but Sinatra's music still played after Yankee games. Sinatra is not being shot down as a racist like Kate Smith was, even though the Kate Smith thing was absolutely complete bullcrap. And I recommend if you haven't heard that episode, go, go back and check out the Kate Smith episode. But Frank Sinatra was an interesting guy like all of us. We're not black. We're not white. There's a lot of things in between. And Frank Sinatra on the face, you will hear when you listen to these old bootlegs, you'll hear him use words that would be considered mega offensive today. I mean, just the Rat Pack alone. Frank and Dean were known to call Sammy Davis Jr. Smokey the Bear. But on the other side of that, Sammy Davis Jr. called them Dago and Wop, which is why when it comes down to it, intent matters. If you're among friends, words take on different meanings than they would in other situations. Now, Frank Sinatra was a guy that really did not like segregation. He was a guy who didn't understand when he went to these places in Vegas why the musicians that he was working with were getting a hard time. Here's a blurb of Frank talking about segregation in the music business. When I found that, um, that uh, Ella and all of the black performers or uh, composers and writers were living on the other side of the town, I'd heard about that and I said, I don't understand that. Why, why is that happening? And someone said to me, well, uh, that's the, the life here in this state now, meaning Nevada. I don't know whether it just meant Vegas or Tahoe or what, but I think it meant it in the whole state. There was a lot of bigotry involved there. I began to make noise about it. 
a few threats like uh, I'll walk, I'll go back to L.A. and uh, get yourself a new boy. I couldn't uh, understand why uh, and any of the guys who were in our group working all the time, the blacks and the whites, why they were not allowed to live in the same hotel, whether he's pink or black or yellow or tan, I don't care. If he performs well, that's the man I want to work for me. That doesn't make any difference. But it changed. It absolutely all changed. I, I did make some demands on some people and said, listen, I said, if they all have to live on the other side of town, then you don't need me. You just don't need me. And uh, I think a few other entertainers began to pick, pick up on that, too. And, and they hollered. Uh, but I guess I was the, the biggest mouth in the, in the town. In short, uh, I loathed bigotry of any kind. So there you have it. Just scratching the surface on the life of Francis Albert Sinatra. I recommend you check out his music, pick up one of the biographies about him, raise a Jack Daniels in his honor to celebrate his life. His gravestone has the simple title from a song that was one of his favorites. The best is yet to come. And one thing Frank always said was, I hope you live to 100 years old. And the last voice you hear be mine. I mean, sure, that's just a little bit narcissistic, but the man could sing. I hope you've been digging what you've been hearing here on the Random Thoughts podcast. If you could subscribe to the show, go to randomthoughts.com, R A N D U M B thoughts.com, and click one of those subscribe buttons Apple, Android, Stitcher. Heck, you could even get it by email if you don't like any of those apps so you never miss a Random Thoughts episode. And if you got some value out of the show, we do work on the value-for-value model. If you're digging it, you like it, you got some value, go to randomthoughts.com and click that Donate button and help us keep the lights on, the microphones humming, and all that other mother jazz, as Frank might say. For this episode, thanks again to Keith Von Dyke for his donation to the show. We truly appreciate it. As long as you all keep listening, we're going to keep doing this little show. And if there's something you want to hear on the show, something you like, something you don't, feel free to reach out to us at Random Thoughts Podcast, R A N D U M B Thoughts Podcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at Random Podcast, R A N D U M B Podcast, or my personal Twitter, Darren O'Neill, D A R R E N O N E I L L. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.